I'm going to read a Bible verse. Many of you probably haven't heard this before. I'm joking. We've all heard Mark 16 many times. It's kind of Jesus' famous last words before departing for the last time to go and be with his dad, the Father. And this is what it says in Mark 16, verse 17. It says these words. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says, these signs will follow those who believe. So he's saying this, if you believe in God, these signs are going to follow you. If you're new to church today, maybe you've seen a lot of things about Christianity, you've heard things about Christians, but basically Jesus is actually going to summarize what true Christianity is here in his final last words. Are you with me? He says, these signs will follow those who believe, not those who are called, not the one or two on stage, not the evangelist, but anyone who believes. Who believes in here tonight? Morning. Tonight's going to be powerful. Um, (laughs) This is what it says. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. That doesn't really apply to us. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So there's your view into Christianity. If you believe in God, these signs will follow you. Not, you will attend church. Ooh, we went deep quick. I didn't mean to do that, but it's true. He's not saying you'll believe in God's real. He's saying if you believe, these signs will follow you. Which is cool because that means if you're a Christian or you're considering becoming a Christian, when you have a relationship with God, these signs follow your belief and your relationship with Jesus. It's more than just church attendance. It's more than just one day believing that you'll get to heaven, but it's actually getting to experience what he's saying here, that each one of us, as we believe, we have access to those things and many other things. But he highlights these few things before going to be with his father. And those are some of the things we're going to talk about this morning. But if you would just bow your heads and pray with me briefly. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that we can come together and gather in your name, that we can raise a hallelujah. God, that as we come into you, all our problems fall away as we see you more and more clearly, God. We don't want to just believe in you or go to church, but we want to have these signs following us. We don't want a dead religion. We want a living religion, a living relationship with you. And God, we ask that the Springboks would win the World Cup later this year. And all of God's people said, all of God's people said, amen, yes. Um, how many of you like war movies? Any war movie fans? All the men said yes, some women. There's no shame if you like, oh, there's one, two, perfect. No shame, a little bit of a stereotype, but normally men love war and whatnot. How many, there's a movie called The Lone Survivor. I don't know if you've watched it or heard of it. It's a great movie, and it's actually a true story. And I just want to kind of share an overview of what happens, and then we're going to go somewhere, I promise. So what happens in the story is these four guys that are in the Marines, in one of the elite courses, basically they get dropped into northern Afghanistan to go on a recruiting mission to go and look for one of the worst baddies in the other army. I don't know why I use the word baddies. Bad guys. This isn't children's church, right? Bad guys in the other army. And the idea is, it's the middle of the night, they get dropped in the four of them, and it's bucketing down rain, and they have to walk many kilometers to go and recon the other guy. And they're slipping and sliding down the mountainsides, just trying to push through to find him, just trying to see him. And as, as the morning starts to break and the sun comes out, and they're trying to hide from people up in the mountains, these three shepherds stumble upon them. That's a bad morning for you, if you three shepherds looking after your sheep. Suddenly they stumble across these four guys that can't speak their language holding guns. And the four guys take, take them captive and they start having to think, what are we going to do with them? We have three options. Number one, because they know they'll go and tell the opposition forces. It's like, number one, we kill them. Probably not a good idea. They didn't do anything wrong. 
Option number two, we tie them up and leave them here and people get worried where have they gone. Option number three, we let them go and hope they don't tell the other people. And in the movie, they kind of had this vote off, like who votes for this? I don't think the vote happened in real life. One of them probably made a choice. But essentially, they let the three shepherds go. And then they say, okay, we're going to get out of here. We can't fight this war. We, we can't have a look because we're probably exposed. And the true story goes that within two or three hours, they were surrounded by over a hundred of the enemy forces with guns in this mountain range. So a hundred people with guns all trying to kill them. And it's actually a really sad story that three of the men lose their life that night. But before they lose their life, there's this part in the story where one of them has a cell phone. Somehow, every, every movie, army, one of them only has a cell phone, right? And somehow, like in every war movie, there's never reception when they need it the most. So he gets on a satellite phone and he's like, he tries to make a call like mayday, mayday, or whatever they say, we need help, we need help. And then he looks at the other guys and there's this powerful sentence where he says to the three other guys before they passed away, he says, no one else is coming. It's just us. And they realize in that moment that it's going to take too long for reinforcements to come. And they're going to have to fight the battle by themselves. No one else is coming. It's just us. And what happens, like I said, three of the men lose their life, which is incredibly sad. The man who lives on to tell the story, he was shot multiple times. His spine was crushed and he was paralyzed from the waist down. And how he survived was he had to crawl 10 kilometers in the pouring rain through the mountainous terrain with just his hands, 10 kilometers, to get rescued the next day. And he shares the story, and that's how the movie was birthed. And when I was watching that, I couldn't help but be reminded a little bit of the church. I grew up in the church, and I'll explain kind of why. To me, often Christianity kind of feel, felt like I was dropped into this enemy territory. And I was not of this world, but I was in this world. And now I'm going to do my best to survive. I'm going to survive, I'm going to try to get through, and one day, I'm going to get to heaven. That was kind of my view. And if things go wrong, I'm going to have to wait for reinforcements to come, or Jesus is going to have to come back on his white horse and rescue me, like the helicopter. Those are my options. Wait for reinforcements or wait for Jesus, but I'm just going to survive for right now. I've got my one-way ticket to heaven, and one day I'll get to use that, but for right now, I'm going to survive. And I began to think of that idea that we think something else needs to come for us to advance the kingdom. That we think something else needs to come. And often if you've grown up in church or been around church, we'll use the term of we need revival to come. And that's often the idea that we think we need to have to advance the kingdom. Now, the word revival itself isn't in the Bible, although all the principles are. I'm not against revival. If you ask what was revival, we'd probably say, well, it's healing the sick, casting out demons, maybe family restoration, um, God moving in your workplace, make it bigger in your city, and even on a larger scale, society being transformed by God, right? Pretty much we would say revival falls into those ideas. And it's like we had to wait for something to come for us to see that happen in society. And when I was thinking about that and watching the movie, God just said to me so clearly that, no one else is coming because we have what we need. And that's what I'm going to preach on today. No one else is coming. So why aren't we seeing revival? Why aren't we seeing God move in our workplaces, in our cities, in our nations? Maybe we are, but why not whole societies being changed? Why are we not seeing revival yet? I would say the main reason that we struggle to see revival is simply actually because we aren't available to be used by God. Now, I'll explain what I mean. Anytime I've gone out into the supermarket or the streets and I've said to God, is there one person here you want me to just tell about you? 
Just one person. Or is there a Christian here you want me to encourage? I've never experienced him saying, no, you're good today. There's no one here. Maybe you have. I've never experienced that. Even if there's no Christians, even if there's only Christians, he would still say, encourage this person. He's never said, you're good, you're off today. But the problem probably has been that there's not enough times where I'm like, God, I'm available to actually be used by you. See, the number one thing for you, if you want to see revival, your greatest weapon in this war is actually just being available to be used by God. Because whether you know it or not, you are in a war. You are in a battle. Yes, Jesus won the war, but the enemy is trying to take as many people with him as he can. The war is won, but the battle's not over. And you and I, when we become available, that's when God can begin to move through us. Because each one of us, if you believe, you can see those things, but are we available to be used in those areas? Thank you. I appreciate that. You guys are allowed to say amen. Let's not be the chosen frozen this morning. <laughs> Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says this. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So what he's saying there, if you're in warfare, if you're in a war, you aren't going to get caught up with all the normal day-to-day life things, right? If you're in a real war, you aren't going to be doing all the things that you normally do because you're in a war right now. Now, you would probably know this. It's not a huge revelation. If you were in a real war on the front line and you forgot you were in a real war, you might die. Right? Like, that's not a big revelation I'm dropping. That's more of a fact. If you were just like standing there getting shot at and you're like, no, I'm going to just be scrolling Instagram. It wouldn't go well for you. But sometimes as Christians, we can forget that we're in a war because we don't see the immediate effects on our life. But the truth is you're in a war. You're on the front line. I remember just before doing Awakening Australia last year, God spoke to me and he said this. He said, no one joins the army to watch the war. He said, no one becomes a Christian to be a spectator. Good word, Dylan. Good word. Well, actually, God, God can have the glory. He gave it to me. But nobody joins the army to watch the war. I put that on my Instagram and someone said, well, what about cooks in the war? I was like, there's no cooks in the army of God. We all call to the front lines. Amen. But nobody joins the army to watch the war. You call to advance the kingdom. You call to make a difference in this world. How do we do it? By simply being available to God. Turn with me if you have your Bible or your iPhone. As always, Samsung's stay in your pocket. This is a holy place. Some people are offended, some Samsung fans. God opened their eyes to the truth. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Let's have a look at this verse. Pretty crazy verse. We're just going to mainly hit on verse 26 for right now. It says this, an angel of the Lord showed up and said, now I just want you to put yourself in the shoes of the verse we're about to read. You in your room tomorrow morning. Having your quiet time as you do, maybe it's five, ten minutes before work. You have your coffee cup there with coffee and the scriptures on the cup. It's your scripture cup. It's the one you use for devotionals in the morning. (laughs) And next to your coffee cup with the scripture, you have your Joyce Myers devotional open. You're reading what it says for day 261. You're reading it there and you're reading your Bible. 
and God shows up, or the Holy Spirit speaks to you, or an angel says to you, he says this, hey, I want you to get up and walk to Auckland. Now here's why I use Auckland, because in the verse, this man is told to get up and go south on the road, on the desert road, from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's what it says in the Bible. So when I read that, I was like, okay, I put myself into these shoes, into his shoes, and I was like, if I was spending quiet time with God, and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to wake up tomorrow morning and walk to Auckland. Now the reason I say Auckland is because the amount of distance he's told to walk is 100 kilometers. Similar from the distance here to Auckland. Now, if that happened and someone came to me, Pastor Sheridan comes, he's like, what did God say to you this morning? I'm like, Pastor, God spoke to me about a transition coming in the future sometime. Right now, he hasn't given me a lot of information, Pastor. He's just told me to walk, and I'm waiting to, to know why to walk. I'm waiting to know what to take. And, yeah, what I'm doing on the dirt road, on the desert road. So he says, get up and walk. Now, it's 100 kilometers, and to me, I don't like hiking at the best of time. Can I get an amen? Yeah. You start where you finished and you didn't get any cardio. I'd rather go on a run. But this guy is told to walk 100 kilometers. So then I'm like, okay, Google, I need to know how far 100 kilometers takes to walk. I've never done it before. And Google, which is never wrong, it's like the news, can't lie to you, always right. Um, Google says it's going to take two days of walking 16 hours to get to that location. And I'm like, wait, what? That changes everything for me. I'm like, now I look at the story, because if it's me in the story, I'm told to walk two days, 16 hours, 100 kilometers. I don't know why I'm walking. So one hour in, by this point, I would already be stoked and so proud of myself, I left the house. I'm on the dirt road, because I don't even know why I'm going. So an hour in, I'm like, okay, God, are you proud of me? Can, can I have more information now? Two hours in, nothing, three hours in. By this point, I'm like, God, you do realize I have to walk three hours back. You haven't invented cars yet, God. Four hours in, five hours, I have to walk five hours back. Imagine sleeping under that stars the night, 16 hours in. You don't have a sleeping bag because God didn't tell you what you were doing. You're just lying under the stars. Wow, God, this is great. He's just walking on the dirt road. I don't know if I would have gone because I might have said to God, I'm not really called to walk on dirt roads. God, I'm called to preach, not walk on dirt roads. I'm called to change nations, God. Not walk on a dirt road. But he just walks not knowing why. And the story goes on that while he's on this road, we don't know where he is. He could be hour five. He could be hour 29. But he's somewhere in the 32-hour journey that he comes across a man and he shares the gospel with this man and the man gets born again. The man ends up being the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia and takes the gospel back to, to Ethiopia. A whole nation hears the gospel because one man walked south on a dirt road. And if you trace back Christianity in, in, in Ethiopia to this day, Christianity came to Ethiopia because a man walked south on a dirt road when he didn't know why he was walking south on a dirt road. Still to this day, it's traced back to this one man walking south on a desert road. I wonder if we've complicated revival. He could have sat at home and been like, God, how can I see Ethiopia changed? But it's because of his simple obedience, he saw a nation changed. See, when you put simple obedience into action, God will give you great results. But he's waiting for your simple obedience. One nation, one conversation was changed one nation was changed through that conversation. One conversation and a whole nation is changed. 
Our number one calling as Christians is actually just to be obedient to God, just to be available to God. Many of us would have said, God, I'm not called to walk in a dirt road. I'm called to business. Ooh. I'm called to preach, God. I'm not called to walk on the dirt road. That's not my calling. When you're simply obedient to God, God unlocks your calling. This man was called to see nations changed. But he couldn't bypass simple obedience. Because that person God tells you to speak to on the street, they might be the next president of this nation. But you want it to happen your way when we have to submit and say, God, I'm going to simply be obedient to you. Because that man God told you to speak to yesterday, how do you know that he's not going to be one of the most influential people in this nation in 10 years? I had an encounter a few months ago. I was getting onto an elevator and this guy walks on next to me. He's a really cool looking guy. And I'm like, this guy looks cool. I want to be his friend. He just looked cool. And I'm like, hey bro, Jesus loves you so much. And we were actually doing the event that we showed. It was a busy time. And he goes, oh, dude, thank you so much. And I was like, what are you doing here? Because he just looked cool. And he's like, well, I'm meeting the president tomorrow. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Why are you meeting the president? And he said, well, I'm going to play in the Euro League, which is a big soccer tournament. And he played for Austria's under-21 team. And then the other day, so I'm like, okay, what's your name? I want to follow you on Instagram. I follow him on Instagram. He follows me back. It's always nice. And then... I see a few days ago that one of the team, one of the Barclays Premier League teams, the biggest league in the world, just purchased him to come and play for their team. So I'm like, now I get to at least see the gospel stuff I'm putting out. But I could have easily said, God, I'm called to influence well-known people. I'm not called to say Jesus loves you in an elevator. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Simple obedience is what unlocked that. Because God's saying, will you be obedient? Will you stop that one person? Will you share your faith? Will you step out of the boat? Because many of us want to, I love the story of Peter. Have you guys, you guys obviously might have heard that story where all the disciples are in the boat and the storm's coming, the waves are huge, it's raining. And I love the disciples. They're like, there's a ghost. Jesus is like, no, it's me, the one who created you. And, um, and, Peter says, okay, if it's you, call me out into the water. I love Peter. That's awesome. He's bold. He's like, if it's you, I want to come. Because Jesus is our example. So what he did, we have access to, right? So he's like, if you can do it, I want to do it. And I believe that day that any one of the disciples could have walked on water. But only one was hungry enough to say, God, if it's you, call me out. And what happens is he makes a choice to then get out of the boat and walk on water. Now, many of us want to walk on water. Many of us want to do great things for God, but we, we want to do it from the comfort of the boat. Jesus does not push Peter out of the boat. He has to make a choice to put himself in a position where he looks ridiculous if God doesn't show up, if not stupid. He falls into the storm he was worried about 20 seconds before if God doesn't show up. But he's willing to step out onto God's word. And then he begins to walk on water. See, the Holy Spirit is called a comforter for a reason. And because you don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. You don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. Holy Spirit's called a helper. He probably thought you might need help at some point. We have to be putting ourselves in a position where God can show up where we leave our comfort zone. And, of course, we know that Peter, when he takes his eyes off Jesus, begins to sink into the water. He begins to sink down and Jesus catches him. I don't know about you, but I would rather step out, make a mistake. I would rather be wet and in the arms of Jesus than dry and sitting in the boat. 
I would rather step out and do something wrong, get rejected, not see the healing, but then God catch me and comfort me than sit in the boat and say, I wish I could have done more. Then look back in my life and say, I wish I could have done more. No one's disqualified in this room. God wants to use every one of you. Age does not disqualify you. Old or young, you can still be used. If you can, ha- if you can say Jesus loves you, you can change a nation. So you can still be used. There it is. It's in the Bible. It's not my opinion. I'm going to share a quick story. There was this, I live in Germany at the moment, a small town of about 600 people. And down the road from us, there's a big town of about 1,000 people, huge. They even have a bakery, massive. There's a town of 80,000 close by. But. So there's a person from that town who's gone famous around the world because essentially that guy from the town, his name was John, he started the Californian gold rush. And how it happened is this, there was a man living in California, where, what we would call Sacramento now, and he was struggling financially, and he owned this plot of land on the river in Sacramento, Sacramento River. And he had heard about all this gold being found in Southern California. So he was like, okay, I'm going to sell my land and go hunt for this gold in Southern California. So he sells his land, goes to Southern California. The guy from Germany rocks up and he purchases this land, struggling financially. Years later, his daughter runs into the house with a handful of mud from the river, dries it in front of the fireplace, and they start to see gold in this mud. Now the guy sold this farm to go and find gold somewhere else. And to this day, that river, that piece of land, has amassed over $45 million of gold. To this day, there's someone who's a one-third part owner, and that one-third part owner makes $20 every 15 minutes from that river. That's $80 an hour, $2,000 a day, $60,000 a month from that river to this day, a thir- one-third part over $45 million of gold, and that's what sparked the Californian gold rush. And to this day, it's still producing gold. And when I heard that story, it reminded me of the story of the prodigal son. You might be familiar with the story of the prodigal son. Basically, what happens is there's a son who says to his dad, his dad's wealthy, and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now so I can leave and go where the grass is greener, essentially. So he takes all the money from his dad, everything he deserves, everything he's going to get, and he goes. And he blows all his money, lives his best life, comes back to his dad, because he has the thought, I would rather, because he ends up sleeping with pigs. Pretty weird, hard to believe, but he was sleeping with pigs. And even worse than that, he was eating pigs' food. So he's like, you know what's better than this? Those servants on my dad's farm. That's better than this. So he leaves that the pigs, easy decision, I'm sure, goes to, goes to his dad's farm, and he thinks his dad's going to be ashamed of him, and his dad runs out and meets him with open arms. We know the story. What's interesting about this story, I love the perspective of the older brother. And I'm just going to read one verse out of Luke 15. Because the older brother rocks up from working in the field, doing as a good son should do. He's out there grinding in the field. And he comes back, and he sees his party being thrown. His first assumption might be, okay, the party's for me. He realizes the party's not for him. He's like, okay, why has dad killed the best cow that we have? Why has he done this? And he sees his brother who they're throwing a party for. And he's like, that's not okay. He got what he deserved. He chose to leave. I've been here the whole time being a good son and I've never had access to that. 
You know what I mean? He's like, I've been waiting to receive access to what you're giving to him who doesn't deserve it. I deserve it. I've been here for years working. So he goes and complains to his dad and his dad says this in Luke 15 verse 31. The dad said, son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. He was waiting to receive access to something that he already had. There's gold on your property. You have access to revival. You don't have to go looking somewhere else. You have it now. You don't have to keep searching. You had it all along. You don't have to wait for the Father to give you something. You've had it all along. You've always had access to it. You have access to the things of God now. See, God wants to move through us to see our cities change, but He won't do it by Himself. Because He said He's going to use you and I, and He sticks to His word. He won't. See, those seats around you, you can pray, God, fill those seats. Those seats won't be filled till you bring people to fill those seats. If you want to see revival, it's on you and I. No one else is coming. Nothing else is coming. We have what we need to see revival. As Christians, we aren't called to be dropped into this world and just survive to one day be evacuated out. We're called to be dropped into this world to thrive and advance His kingdom. You have what it takes to win this war. You have, Jesus won the war, but we're still in the battle. You have what it takes. Would you become available to be used by God? Availability is your greatest weapon, church. If you can just wake up tomorrow morning and say, God, who's one person I can touch today? God, help me be aware of your presence. I just want to tell one person about Jesus. If each one of you just said, God, I'm going to tell one person about Jesus, you'd be amazed at the effect that that has. Even if you got rejected. Even if you fell into the water, you just said, God, I want to be used by you. Would you become available? Would you stop waiting for something that you already have access for? I came to encourage some people today. One conversation can change a nation. God's waiting on you now. We've been waiting on him to see revival. He's been waiting on us to see revival. He's waiting on you and I to wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. He's waiting on us. We've always had access. We like the older son. We've had access the whole time. But we've been waiting to receive it. You don't have to wait anymore to receive it. Are you with me? No one else is coming because you don't need anything else. You have what it takes to change your workplace, your city, and your nation. No one else is coming because you don't need anything else. I want to encourage you guys. I believe that God wants to use you to change the city. And you might be called to business. I agree, stay in business. You might be called to entertainment, stay there. I'm called to preach, but before I'm called to preach here, I'm called to be like Jesus out there and here. Before you're called to business, you're called to live like Jesus outside of the business and inside. Your number one calling is obedience to God. You can't make business an idol over living like Jesus. Living like Jesus is your calling. Obedience to God is your calling. And when we can say that, we can say, you know what, I am actually called to walk on the dirt road because obedience is my calling. That's when we'll start to see nations change. No one else is coming. You have what you need. Can you stand? I'm just going to pray for us and then I'm going to hand back over. Was that helpful to anyone in here today? The ball's in our court. What are we going to do with it? Right? 
God said to us, He wants to use us. What are we going to do with that? He's given us ownership over this earth. He said that we are His hands and feet. He's already said we're going to do it. So he's not going to do it for us, but He'll do it with us. And what I've learned is small steps of obedience have huge outcomes with God. One, Jesus loves you in an elevator. can lead somewhere so far in 10, 15 years. And I look back and I'm like, all I had to say was Jesus loves you. You know what I mean? It's so small to me, but the result can be so big. And it's the same for you. What might happen if you step out? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for your presence. We thank that we get to come together and just worship you. We get to hear your word. We get to read your word. God, now ask that you just put a fire in our hearts to be more like you every day. That little by little, we would live more like you every day. God, that we weren't called to drop into this world to survive. But we came here, we were saved for such a time as this, that we were born in such a time as this, that we weren't called to survive, but we were called to actually thrive. That we were called to advance your kingdom more and more every day. That all of us are in the army of God. God, help us not to be entangled in the things of this life. But to remember that we are enlisted in the army, that we are in a war. God, we want to see our families saved. We want to see our workplaces saved. We want to become the answer to the prayers that generations have been praying for New Zealand. You are God's answer to these cities. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is God's answer to New Zealand. I don't know if you heard that. Christ in you, you, Christ in you is God's answer to the prayers people have been praying for New Zealand. No one else is coming. You have what it takes. Amen.